0: I'm Aaron Reynolds, and you're listening to Explain Like I'm Five on the 2020 Network, brought to you by Interact. Canada has welcomed the digital economy like few other countries, but we are still reliant on physical identity documents to access government services or complete high-value transactions. Interact is working to address this gap and make a secure, convenient, and privacy-enhancing digital ID ecosystem a reality for Canadians. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. I like to think that I'm an intelligent guy, but I know more about the inner workings of the Council of Elrond than I do about Canada's cabinet. And that's kind of a problem. So that's why I'm inviting really intelligent people onto this show to explain things to me like I'm five. There's been a ton of media coverage of the Jody Wilson-Raybould, SNC-Lavalin situation. And while I don't want to dive too much into the specifics of it, I feel like my biggest challenge in understanding the entire affair is the relationship and nature of the two roles of the justice minister and the Attorney General. So to help me out with this, I have a returning guest. I have with me uh, Solomon Friedman, an Ottawa-based criminal defense lawyer. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I want to start with some very basic basics on this one. I want to ask, what does the Attorney General do? And then I want to separately ask, what does the Justice Minister do? Sure. And I'm going to
1: flip that because the the justice minister is a little easier to understand because her uh, role uh, is very similar to other cabinet ministers, meaning primarily the justice minister is responsible for a ministry. Uh, Here we have the Department of Justice. So, the uh, you know in the Canadian system ministers are accountable uh, to Parliament and and by extension to the people uh, for the work of their uh, of their individual ministry so the Minister of Justice runs the Department of Justice that's a that's a big department they they do all sorts of things at the Department of Justice they uh, come up with draft legislation they research policy uh, in all areas of law uh, they also conduct uh, you know, various types of of litigation occasionally at the Department of Justice. Uh, They deal with international law, international criminal law, extradition, uh, assistance in terms of uh, when other countries make legal assistance requests. It's all managed through the Department of Justice. Right. And so then that's
0: an inherently political role.
1: It is. It's, it's like any uh, minister where we want to have, obviously, a neutral public service who are carrying out the will, uh, that is the policy will of the cabinet, and ultimately reporting up to uh, a minister. Now, the minister also provides legal advice to cabinet. Um, in, in fact, not only to Cabinet, but to the Department, under the Department of Justice Act, the Minister of Justice, and this is not the Attorney General, the Minister of Justice has an obligation to report at the first possible opportunity any law or proposed law uh, that appears to be inconsistent with the Charter of Rights. And and already okay. there, we, we smell a little bit of a problem. In other words, when a government proposes a law, apparently the Minister of Justice has a duty to report if it's inconsistent with the Charter. Now, can, can you imagine that uh, in any modern political context where the Minister of Justice will say, well, the Department worked hard on this, Cabinet's really in favour of this law, but uh, Parliament, I have to tell you, as I'm obligated to, I'm pretty sure it violates the Charter. And you wouldn't be surprised to learn that in 37 years, um, that has never happened, not once. And, and notwithstanding that, I can tell you as a defense lawyer uh, who's been involved in striking down uh, legislation that countless pieces of legislation have been struck down as being inconsistent uh, with the Charter. So it's not like all the laws are perfectly Charter compliant. But you know, we already see, even within that one role, Uh, There is some political tension, but the Minister of Justice is is a a fairly easy to understand role, leading a ministry like another cabinet minister, sits in cabinet, uh, provides advice, uh, is involved with cabinet decision-making, and ultimately responsible for the Department of Justice.
0: Right. And
1: so, then what does the Attorney General do? Okay. So, the, the Attorney General is a really unique role in our democracy, The Attorney General is sometimes called the Chief Law Officer of the Crown. Now, I know that sounds like something from Robin Hood, but it it, it actually means a lot. Um, And and to me, I always find that a good way of understanding who the Attorney General is and what he or she does is to look at what does an ordinary prosecutor do? What's the role of an ordinary prosecutor? And we go back to this really old Supreme Court case law that says, you know, prosecutors are not regular lawyers. You know, I, as defense lawyer, it's my role to be partisan. Uh, not politically, obviously, but in terms of fighting for my client's cause. I'm ethically required to do everything I can within the, uh, my ethical boundaries, within the rules of court and the rules of evidence to see that my client succeeds. A prosecutor does not have that function. Prosecutors, the Supreme Court told us uh, over 50 years ago, are quasi-judicial officers. You know, what does that mean? It means they're a lawyer, but they're almost like a judge because they get to make their own decisions. They can withdraw a prosecution, stay a prosecution, lay charges. They have this special independence role, independent role. And and the courts have said as well that you know unlike. Uh, A defense lawyer like me, where, you know, I lick my wounds when I lose and I celebrate my victories, (laughs) the crown neither wins nor loses. There is no concept of victory for a prosecutor. That is, the role of the prosecutor is to dispassionately and independently present the evidence to the court. So, that's... Any prosecutor, it doesn't matter uh, if you're in a small territorial courtroom uh, in the Northwest Territories, or if you are the Attorney General of Canada, Uh, you neither win nor lose, you are dispassionate, and you are constitutionally required to act independently of partisan concerns. Now, the Attorney General is therefore responsible for conducting all litigation for the federal government has a special responsibility to uphold the constitution and has a supervisory role over the conduct of all federal prosecutions in Canada. But that role must be entirely divorced from politics. We do not want to live in in a system and, and our rules have evolved to attempt to prevent that to be in a system where prosecutions are either conducted, that is initiated or halted for political reasons. So, I always find it helpful to say the Attorney General of Canada is just just a prosecutor on steroids uh, with great (laughs) oversight. So, just like it would be unfathomable to imagine, you know, the Crown Attorney who's who's prosecuting a case with me where I'll be later this this morning uh, to be influenced by political concerns, so too the Attorney General cannot be influenced by political concerns. And yet... As we know, uh, he or she in this system at present might be might be changing uh, is the same person as the Minister of Justice. sits in cabinet with cabinet colleagues, bound by cabinet confidence and beholden to cabinet solidarity, and uh, it, it it can be vexing.
0: Right, and so they seem, at least on the surface, at least from their descriptions, to be uh, somewhat at odds in terms of roles. So, how did we get to a place in Canada where the same person holds those two roles? Uh, You know, if I told you this is the way we've
1: always done it, uh, I don't know if that would be a satisfactory explanation, (laughs) but that is the explanation. I think, you know, when when you read anything about organizational culture, that's the worst phrase. You know, this is the way we've always done it. But This is the way we've always done it, and generally speaking, uh, it's worked out well. Um, One of the reasons that we've sort of always done it this way is if you imagine assembling a cabinet, uh, the Minister of Justice and the Attorney General, although not required, and there are a few notable exceptions, uh, you'd probably want an extremely experienced, competent lawyer uh, to fill that role. Probably someone with uh, some understanding of litigation, some understanding of criminal law, maybe some, some experience as a litigator. Like I said, there are a couple of notable exceptions. As a hard and fast rule, uh, you, you don't need to be a lawyer, but if I was assembling a cabinet, I, I know I'd be looking uh, for a really superior lawyer. And if I had to have two for the Minister of Justice and the Attorney General, well, that uh, that, that might result in, in fewer candidates and maybe less qualified candidates. But there's no question there's an inherent tension. Uh, the case law talks about wearing two hats, That is, the same person puts on his or her minister of justice hat and then puts on an attorney general hat uh, to do different roles, maybe multiple times uh, within the same day.
0: Now, that's how it works in Canada, but it's not how it works everywhere. I I, I wanted to ask about that because is this the way it is everywhere or are there some countries where we, we don't see those two roles concentrated together?
1: Yeah, and and the best example of that, in other words, to look for another Westminster democracy, uh, is to look to the United Kingdom, where these are absolutely two separate roles, which are uh, carried out by separate people. Uh, the their minister of justice equivalent does exactly what I described with respect to to our minister of justice, but the but the attorney general, however, is held at arm's length uh, from cabinet. Now, still an elected person, right? We've made this okay. conscious decision that we want someone politically accountable to be the attorney general, and there are reasons for that, right? Uh, you know, one of the most fundamental tenets of our responsible democracy is that the ultimately the people need someone to hold accountable for government. Decision making—that's that, that's why we've set this system up the way the way we've set it up. That's what responsible government means. But in the United Kingdom, the Attorney General is not a member of cabinet. Now, I should say, the Attorney General in the United Kingdom occasionally attends cabinet meetings, um, can hear cabinet concerns, but is not bound by cabinet solidarity and is not, strictly
0: speaking, a member of the cabinet. And of course, is not also the Minister of Justice. And actually, cabinet solidarity touches on a really important point, because there was another cabinet minister who uh, resigned their position just the other day, uh, because she said uh, she, she cited exactly that uh, cabinet solidarity is the as the reason that she was leaving um, in this in this whole uh, situation. Uh, tell, tell me more about cabinet solidarity.
1: Yeah, so cabinet solidarity is sort of one of the uh, unwritten uh, principles of our democratic structure, and it makes a lot of sense. It means that in order for the ministers to be politically accountable uh, for not only uh, their decisions, but for the decisions of the entire ministry, uh, they need to have confidence in each other. They need to support each other. Uh, Politically, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, You know, the the cabinet uh, forms sort of the backbone of the government. They're not just MPs sitting in parliament. Uh, They are responsible collectively for the decisions the cabinet makes. And if a minister uh, feels a lack of confidence in that, well, it's very difficult to continue. So, when we look at the Attorney General, if the Attorney General, and that is, remember, our Chief Law Officer of the Crown... Our prosecutor on steroids has to have solidarity, political solidarity, uh, with a number of other ministers, with the entire cabinet. Well, we can imagine how that can lead an individual into difficult territory when the lines get blurred between prosecution and
0: politics. Right. I want to ask about other positive and negatives, because that's definitely a, like a negative aspect to the, the two roles being performed by the same person, what are some other positives and negatives of having one person? You said one of them was just about finding uh, someone who is a, a great and experienced uh, a person in the law for the role. Uh, but what what else? What else is out there for this? Sure. So you know, an,
1: an, another issue here um, relates to the fact that there is an acceptable margin to have not, maybe not political influence, maybe not political pressuring, but there could be political concerns that are brought to the attention of the Attorney General in exercising his or her discretion. And we've got this great legal name for it. It's what's known as the Shawcross Doctrine and uh, people's (laughs) uh, eyes might glaze over when they hear Shawcross Doctrine or, you know, former law students or law students might start suffering some PTSD. Uh, Sounds like a Robert Ludlum novel. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I I'm looking forward to the movie, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, you know, so, but what, what what this doctrine represents, and it's, it's not law, but it's sort of accepted practice with respect to the attorney general, is that given the quasi-political nature, uh, and certainly in our system where the attorney general is the same person as the minister of justice, there's nothing wrong with cabinet colleagues uh, giving their perspective um, – on specific duties of the attorney general. But there's a difference between uh, cabinet colleagues or the prime minister, uh, giving a perspective and applying pressure or influence because at the end of the day, the attorney general cannot be pressured or subject to influence. That, that's the difference, right? And if we, we really drill down a, a little more deeply, you know, imagine, uh, any other minister, you know, take the, the Minister of Global Affairs. If that minister doesn't perform uh, up to the Prime Minister's standard or makes decisions or, or goes off on a policy direction that the prime minister disagrees with, well, we understand the way it works in cabinet, right? Uh, the party has a leader, uh, that leader usually is the head of government, and the ministers are responsible to the prime minister. In fact, if we want to get even more legal, we talk about the prime minister in, in Latin, I think Latin is pretty close to outlawed today, as the primus inter paris, the first among equals. But it's not the same way with the attorney general. Uh, the attorney general. Uh, you know, when, when when we understand really the role of the chief law officer of the crown, the chief prosecutor essentially, uh, it, it it is not appropriate to imagine the prime minister or anyone else saying, you do this or you lose your job. Because the attorney general, what did the Supreme Court say about prosecutors? They're quasi-judicial officers. They are almost judges. They have discretion. Um, they're expected to act in a, in a certain way and make decisions independently of partisan concerns. So, you know, while it's perfectly appropriate for an attorney general to hear what colleagues have to say, to take that into consideration if there's a particular decision to be made, if it gets to the line of either pressure or obviously, you know, threatening uh, the role, that is, you'll lose your position, that crosses the line. So, y- you can imagine why it might be, you know, it might be helpful to have that attorney general in cabinet, maybe even also as, as, as the minister of justice, provided that that line is respected.
0: With the two roles being the same person, does that make it easier for potential legislation to be passed? Like, does that, does that make it easier from a policy point of view? Yeah, well, let's remember
1: it's the Minister of Justice who'd be responsible for sponsoring legislation, shepherding it through the House, appearing at committee, but but obviously the input of the Attorney General, that is, uh, the individual responsible for litigation uh, for the federal government, uh, for upholding constitutional values, for protecting the rule of law, for protecting the independence of the courts, uh, that person's uh, feedback would be invaluable. And, and, and in fact, it's worked very well traditionally in Canada and in every uh, province, where the the role has been fused because you know we we sort of want the, our laws um that the minister of justice as minister of justice is is sponsoring to be infused with those charter values that rule of law that that respect for this system that's embodied by the Attorney General. Um, you know, it, it, in the United Kingdom, obviously, they do it differently and it, it seems to work for them, but we, we certainly see a benefit in having that person who, who can say, look, I'm the Chief Law Officer of the Crown under one role, uh, but obviously that input has flowed in as well to my role a, a, as Minister of Justice. It's, it's, uh, it's a delicate balance, uh, but it is, it's not an impossible one, but it certainly does have the potential for conflicts of interest. Conflict of interest. Tell me more about conflict of interest. One of the most fundamental ethical principles that governs lawyers is the requirement to avoid uh, real or perceived conflicts of interest. And, and what that means you know, for a, an ordinary lawyer like me is that, for example, I cannot represent two co-accused charged with the same offense uh, in the same incident because one may have contrary interests to the others. I can't represent an individual if the witness, for example, in a criminal case uh, is a client of mine because I have a duty of loyalty to my client. Uh, I have to be first and and foremost there to represent the interests of my client. Now, even though the attorney general uh, doesn't have a client, uh, they are the chief law officer of the crown, uh, the issues of conflict of interest arise. And and one of the analogies that that always comes to mind when we think about this dual role is you imagine a corporate board of directors, right? Imagine cabinet is a board. Now, it's it's a crude analogy, but it's a helpful one. Now, it would be extremely difficult to be both on the board of directors, that is a member of the corporate organization, part of the governing mind of the corporate organization, and also be that company's lawyer. And, and that's well accepted now to be inappropriate. It may have been the way things were done for a long time, but what we understand now is how can you provide independent legal advice and counsel to a board when you yourself uh, sit on that board? And that's almost what happens with the Attorney General and the Minister of Justice. And there, there's certainly a benefit to looking at avoiding potential conflicts, um, avoiding potential
0: issues by splitting those roles. So I don't want to talk too much about the, the specifics of the, the SNC-Lavalin uh, you know, controversy right now. I'm, g- I'm going to leave a lot of that to, to journalists who are deeper into this story than me. But I think that one of my fundamental challenges in understanding the story was understanding the role of the attorney general and understanding the role of the justice minister. And so I wanted to ask if this dual role for one person, did that add to the complexity of this scenario? What did that, what did that, what flavors did that add to this problem?
1: Well, it no doubt complicated it because, of course, we have an attorney general who also sits in cabinet uh, and also has to maintain, uh, in theory, cabinet solidarity. Now, in Canada, we have one level of a buffer, and that is um, since uh, the mid-2000s, introduced in 2006, we have a director of public prosecutions. That is, we have an independent check in between the Attorney General and the then-newly-created Public Prosecution Service of Canada. And the idea, actually, was to insulate um, all prosecutorial decision-making from political interference. And if there was any uh, political and I, and interference, I don't necessarily mean in a bad way, because in fact, it's... it's. Uh, legislatively permissible, provided that the public is notified about it and the proper steps are taken. But that was done to serve as a check. Um, And and we see what's happened here, right? In fact, it, it appears to have worked exactly as designed. That is, Uh, where the Attorney General apparently uh, felt something was inappropriate. She took the appropriate steps. She did not exercise her authority under the Director of Public Prosecutions Act, and she reported it. Uh, Precisely as contemplated by, you know, legal scholars and people who theorize about the doomsday scenario of political interference for, for the Attorney General. But, and here's the big but, if you have an Attorney General who may not feel... Uh, empowered, or willing to do that, or to take that independent stand, then we see how problematic this fused role is. And I'd like to say, you know, just because it worked in this scenario doesn't mean it'll work for all people um, and under all circumstances. Uh, maybe we got lucky. Uh, maybe uh, it, this just exposes a flaw in our political structure, and we should uh, possibly look
0: at doing it a little differently. Solomon Friedman, thank you so much for your time once again. If people are looking to learn more uh, about about what you do and what you're up to, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, And if anyone cares to
1: read uh, occasional thoughts that I have about this, uh, they can follow me at Solomon Friedman.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Cash has been around for thousands of years, but Canadians are increasingly turning to new methods such as mobile wallets and contactless solutions to make everyday payments. No matter what the future of payments holds, Interact will be there to help Canadians transact with confidence across multiple platforms and devices. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca.